I always think you guys are eight hours ahead of us, but you're yesterday. That's how right. I work it. Right, like it's Wednesday for you. It's Wednesday, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the hesitation there is like, are you sure? No, well, this has been such the pandemic and everything. I don't even know what year it is. I don't even know who oh. I am. Whatever. It's been crazy, right? Right, it has. It's too long too. It's over a year here for us, and yeah, we've been lucky, but we're not. We can't be complacent either because we we only have five million people in our whole country. So if we get it, it's a big problem. So we can't be complacent that we don't have any cases and that we manage them at the border. Um, and so you, you know, you might have four hundred million or three hundred fifty million in, in the states or in Canada. What is it, thirty million? Yeah, um, we so, can drop us in California, and you barely yeah. even notice us. <laughs> We just can't be complacent about it because we just have to make sure we still mask up and everything. You know, I don't even know if they're testing for antibodies or anything, but there's so much controversy over the vaccine and and everything. It's like, did you ever think that you would live through anything like this in your life? No, and, and in fact, it makes you think a lot about because we we went to Europe last year with our family and I started thinking about World War One, World War Two, and Franz Ferdinand and how these wars started and then. The Spanish flu is just something that we go, oh, yeah, that happened a million years ago, so whatever. And now you realise, you know, um, 50 million people, way worse than the war. Uh, and uh, and it was a thing, obviously, and now we have, you know, we I think, I don't know what COVID numbers are, maybe 2 million or something. Um, They're horrendous. But, yeah. but um, it's crazy. It's crazy. But I also think we should stop calling it. Every conversation now is about COVID, so I think if we use code words and, and like Star Wars or... Um, vodka shots or something would be far more interesting like uh because i keep hearing the words covid <laughs> and it's wine it should be something call it red wine like how, how's the red wine going let's call it something else we don't have to well, call it this at the same time I, I, on a certain level i think we disassociate too if you haven't got it and you didn't get it and you don't know anybody who did get it it's almost it's too surreal i agree i agree yeah if you haven't been through it or have a family member or family members you know, so yeah. it's uh, complicated. You just have to mask up and as take the vaccine. But as you say, there's so much controversy around the vaccine as well. But I don't know. I haven't even gotten a flu shot, so I'm not going to race out and get this one. This is going to be the, our first interview, actually, with Online for Authors. It's actually geared to children. It's quite a treat. We have done a lot in the way of fiction. And the focus has been... Uh, you know, more adult reading, right? More than kids reading. So this is a refreshing pace. And I think it'd be a great turn, uh, you know, to, to share more children's books. Mm. A great encourager of reading. I mean, I was reading to my daughter from the time she understood what reading a book was for bedtime. And then right up until the time where, you know, she says, Mom, I don't need you to read. We took turns reading the pages. Okay, I'd read one page, she'd read it the next or one sentence and then she'd read the next until it was like she would read a whole book in an evening where I'm still on like chapter one <laughs> you know she says mom I really don't need you to help me read anymore it's like okay all right I think getting kids to read it's such a cliche right because we just know how how fantastic it is if you can read and then and then have an imagination and then write a story uh, and so with our kids too, like we just read, we, we read to them since they were, you know, day one. And then um, my kids now are 15 and 17, so they're into Grey's Anatomy and the office and everything else, so they're not reading. But I don't actually care about that because they have read a lot up until now. Um, 
And I didn't read my first novel till I was probably 20 or so. Like it was Cain and Abel by Jeffrey Archer. I, I won't forget it. Um, but it doesn't matter when when you can hook in and out of it with reading. You know, it doesn't have to be, sometimes you, you become a very good reader and you're reading lots and lots and lots. And then other times you might not have read anything for five months. So I think, but teaching your kids to read and then reading with them is so important when they're little. And then they've got their training wheels and then they can do it. And then they might go off it like my teenagers have. And I know they'll go back to it because they'll find novels and then they'll they'll go, why, why was I watching Grey's Anatomy for so many years? I had all these, these books here. So, or they might not, but at least they can, at least they, they, they know how to become a good reader and they, and they know um, how to imagine. And if you can imagine, you can do anything. It opens so many doors. Mm. It's also quite difficult for, uh, it, it's, the world's opened right up because you can, you can now release. So these books are available all around the world. You can do Book Depository, you can do Amazon, you can do Waterstones. But um, the thing with that is, you, is the parents need to be into it. So the parents are the gatekeepers. So if you are releasing an online book um, about uh, how, to, how to thrive in the workplace, it's a lot easier than releasing a, a book for 8 to 12-year-olds because kids don't have the credit cards. Well, you hope they don't. It's about getting the adults into it. So um, yeah, that's a challenge. That's a real challenge for, for kids' authors all around the world. But I spent a long time at home as an author, um, probably three or four years, and now I'm back into the office and I, I still write. Um, I can do. I can work in cafes. I can work in noisy cafes. I can work at home. I love running. I, I love. I love exercise. I, I get out there a lot. I, I find that's great for, for creativity and ideas. Um, I love hanging out with my mates, um, playing sport with my daughters. We're lucky. We live in New Zealand. We get lots of uh, lots of open space, and we can um, and go and do these things. We live. We live next to a dormant volcano. Oh my which, god! Uh, which is our running hill. We go up there, and um, they say it's dormant. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's not Dante's Peak all over again, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, it's all good. I am a TV producer, so I, uh, we do um, factual TV series. So we did one last year on uh, New Zealand truckers. So I'm the producer of the show, and I. Uh, Go and find again. It's about characters and stories, so you've got to find the right sort of characters who are endearing, and you know, like outback truckers and all those sorts of shows. And then at the moment, we're doing one um, on a circus family. They they, they they perform in the circus, and they're part of the Weber Brothers Circus. Oh. And there's there's ten in the family. So there's mum and dad, and then there's eight kids. And the kids are aged from one to twenty one. So the, that's the gap of kids. <laughs> Okay, so I have one child. <laughs> <laughs> How have you found the last year in online and moving from whatever space you were in before? I work in an office and we're lucky enough to be in the office to have people around. And I've, a huge part of creativity for me is eavesdropping <laughs> and uh, picking up snippets of conversations. And what drives me absolutely crazy about online Zoom and Skype and whatever is that it's you're in your own silo and you don't you don't pick up those snippets from people and you don't get new ideas. Um, and I also feel like people don't they're not themselves on Zoom a lot of the time. They're trying to act or they're trying to look pretty or um, it's it, it's not like being in an office or, or in a pub when you just when you're just conversing, you know. But with my job, I, at the moment, I don't get a lot of time to write. I just have to put time away to do it.
you know. Do you do that on a daily basis? Do you try to like carve out an hour a day or? Normally. And normally my trick is um, to turn the Wi-Fi off and only turn it on again when you've done a thousand words. Good for you. Mm. And the Wi-Fi is down the hallway. So I, I can switch it. I can switch it off and then I just leave it and then I, and then you actually get you put music on and then you, you're just away. But um, being online is a terrible, terrible thing when you're uh, trying to focus. In fact, that last one I just told you about with the boys who become famous, I wrote on just sort of crappy old um, books that you had at school, you know, like 1B5. Have you seen the 1B5 books? Sort of thing? <laughs> and it, it was so liberating and so free because I could go to a cafe I didn't have to ask for Wi-Fi, and I literally wrote it. I hand wrote it. You could be thing. anywhere if you've got a pen and paper. Yeah. And then I'd just take a photo of the pages so I wouldn't lose them uh, in case I lost that book. Yeah. And then just and then just put that in the cloud. But it was so liberating. And anyway, I just count that as draft zero, so it doesn't matter if if it's not perfect. But you do definitely think. I read yesterday that Neil Gaiman has a he buys a beautiful new fountain pen every time he starts a new book. Because first of all, the pen's expensive, and secondly, you really think about it before you. Because on a computer, you just do this, and you edit and chop, and you should never be editing and chopping when you when you're just putting down that that first draft. Yeah, you know, it's hard not to edit all, along the way too. Mm. Um, when you when you're on a computer, it's so easy to go back up and delete and and catch all your, and it breaks the flow of writing so badly. Um, I agree. And, and ping, something pings, and then Grammarly says that's that's wrong and going, no, it's not wrong. Like, go away. Like, at least with pen and you, that's it. So I really recommend that to writers, actually, just to just to count it as draft zero and just just start and don't let any other interruptions get in the way. You know? yeah. So pen, back to pen and paper. And then you say you get it up, you, you take a screenshot and put it up in the cloud, but do you have like a kind of an integration program where it would take your written word and convert it at all or I, I can do that because I transcribe a lot with my job but I wrote it I rewrote it again and I didn't find that a pain because that's when I can start editing I don't want to give it to someone to actually transcribe or give it to a bot to do because they're not going to understand what I'm when I want to say they it whatever the bot is yes. it's not going to understand what I'm trying to say so I don't I don't do that I bet too as you go through it it triggers ideas and it always yeah and that's why you shouldn't be allowed to edit as you're going on draft zero because you will you might miss amazing adventures and amazing places to go because you're worried about how to spell something see yeah don't worry go on an adventure an amazing adventure awaits if you don't worry that could be a whole nother book <laughs> yeah true true I've always got to have like instrumental stuff on though, unless I'm, if I'm editing, I need instrumentals. And then if I'm, if I'm just doing the vomit, I call it the vomit stage, just when you're putting stuff down that and having a, great, a crazy time in your head, um, I can listen to anything, you know. And, but the concentration when you're editing is definitely instrumental. Do you have any specific advice for writers? Just be free and don't listen to the, the, idiot editor in your head, you know, just just be free and be very careful with the advice you get and who you choose to get your advice from because your friends and family might say it's a great book and really you might only be 40% there and and just do it. But, you know, yeah, just just put words on the page. I also find you can read, you can read too much about 
famous writers and then have green-eyed envy and then don't do it yourself because you go, what's the point? Because Shakespeare's already done it. Lee Child's so successful, J.K. Rowling. Or you can just stay in your own world and go, my story's worth telling. I'm just going to put it down and see where we go. I mean, once you're on the, once you're on the train and you're writing a novel or whatever it is, it's, it's the most magical feeling and it's yours and you own it and it's yours forever. Justin Brown versus Justin Christopher Brown. So tell me a little bit about what happened there. Uh, so for tw- 15 years, I was traditionally published with Penguin Random House and released books around um, uh, travel and uh, slang books. A lot of, lot of sort of uh, Kiwi speak uh, was, a, was a really big seller here in New Zealand. Um, and I did a book called Rugby Speak, which is our national sport. And, that, and again, back, that's actually back to eavesdropping. So they're funny, quirky, um, pop culture kind of books, you know. Yeah. Um, the, the travel books I did were, um, you know, street singers. You know, you have street singers around the, the States or Canada uh, on street corners. We, uh, we call them, them buskers here. Oh, yeah, we call them buskers too. Yeah. And But I became the world's only door-to-door busker. I used to go and knock oh. on people's doors and sing to them. Move over here. <laughs> and so, so I thought uh, I should do a book about this, and it became UK on a G string. It's a play on um, the European books, which was always like Europe on a shoestring, right? I get it. I get it. Totally get it. And I have a musician in the house. At right. the same time, I get it. What a G string is in in all respects, but <laughs> yeah. because because there's such a play on words, there it could it could take on different kind of marketing connotations. Completely. So I released UK on a G-string and that um, did well in paperback and then I released it. It's online. You can still read it as an e-book. And then my second um, book, travel book, because I'm addicted to travel and I love people and I love situate, you know, I just, it's just Bill Bryson is one of my heroes um, just because he, he's an incredible eavesdropper. He's just, he can just, he can tie a beautiful story into, you know, from one conversation. Uh, and my second book was called Teed Off in the USA. And what I did, I challenged myself to play golf with who, whoever's on the front page of the newspaper. It was the, the golf was a disaster because no one wanted to play golf, which is fine. <laughs> but um, it was incredible, the, the Americans I met. Just a couple would be the first chapter. I was in New York and then on the front page of the newspaper was a guy who was walking his dog in Central Park and he ran into an alligator that had come up from one of the sewers. And I thought, I've got, to, I've got to interview this guy. And then we had a great chat. He ran a deli down near where the, the trade centre used to be. And most incredible guy, no golf, doesn't matter. It's always about people. And it's always about those situations. My second chapter in Teed Off in the USA was about, um, I went to Richmond, Virginia, and on the front page of the newspaper were two clowns getting married. Oh my gosh! Yeah, what year was well, this in? This was two oh two oh two thousand five. Okay. And um, Bonkers and Sweet Thang, not Sweet Thing, Bonkers and Sweet Thang were getting married, <laughs> and I went to the newspaper office and I said, "Oh, I'm doing this crazy idea," and they said, "Oh, I'm the reporter. Come, come with me." So we drove to the church where they were getting married, and there were seventy five clowns and. Um, oh. 75 people dressed up as clowns and the celebrant had bells on his shoes and a parrot on his shoulder in, a, in his church. But all of my travel books have to have a, 
a bent to them. I, I don't want a boring book about eating in France, for example, because it just bores me to tears. I love food, but I just think it has to have a hook. There has to be a hook to the travel book. You know? So those books are under my real name, which is Justin Brown. Brown, I was Justin Brown for a long time. I'd love you to, to go and have a look at justinbrownbooks.com. So that's where you'll find my UK on a G-string, and that's where you'll find um, uh, In Search of Swingers, which is the new title for Teed Off in the USA. That's the golfing one. And you'll find those, they're adult books, so they're, they're like travel, um, a crazy Kiwi going around the world and doing ridiculous things. And But they've, all, they've, they've got a lot of heart. Those people have got amazing, amazing characters in them who are just, have been so kind to me as I've been on these travels. So then we had two girls, and then I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to be at home for a while, I can't travel. And the, now I want to write middle grade for kids, um, 8 to 12, under Justin Christopher and on my website, Justin Christopher author, that is only these these types of books. And I'll just tell you how I got my name first of all. So Justin okay. Christopher. And the reason that name came about is, you know, Lee Child, the, the crime writer. Yeah. Um, I was emceeing an event with Lee and we were in the green room together. And um, he was flicking through my nonfiction books under my own name. And he said, oh, that's pretty good. And then he said, have you written any fiction? I said, nah, I'm too chicken. I'm too chicken to write fiction. This is probably oh. 10 years ago. And uh, I said, well, what, what would you call yourself if you, um, if you wrote fiction? And I said, uh, I don't know. And he said, well, what's your, what's your middle name? And I said, Christopher. And he said, ah, oh, Justin Christopher. So that sounds good. So I've never forgotten that story. And it's my father's name. Christopher's my father's name. So his name's Chris Brown, but he's not the rapper. And oh, that's funny though, because Lee Child, he also, t- I don't know if you know how he came up with his pen name. You know what? I've yet to interview him, but I, you know, you feel free to pass the, <laughs> pass the oh, word he, around. <laughs> he's, a, he's the man. He's a dude. His name's Jim Grant. Are we allowed to share that? <laughs> yeah, he's written about it. He said he, he's oh. written that his name's Jim Grant. But as a child, um, the joke in the family was that they all pretended to speak French, like, um, if, you, if they saw a table, they would go, oh, look at the table. Or they go, or if there's, a, if there's a cat, they'd go, oh, look at the cat. And then so he never forgot child. Like someone said, oh, look at the child. And that's how Lee Child came about. So Lee Child, not Lee Child. But that's, that's child. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like that. Thank you for sharing that. No worries. Yeah. And so, the, the, so then I started writing these. Um, and the underers came about because, you know, a lot of fiction just starts from what if, what what if, um, and my one for the underers was was about what if when you went out for the day, other people lived in your house, but you didn't know they were there. So sometimes you come home and they'd find a mess, or you'd find um, something stolen, but there'd be no burglars in the house or anything. And so then I thought, well, what if they were attached to the house alarm, but they were actually invisible? So the people who lived in your house, when they, sorry, sorry, they're see-through, they're not invisible, they're like jellyfish. So the things that set your alarm off in your house are normally spiders or cats or obviously people. But the, these people, the underers, they lived downstairs beneath the girl's house. And um, when, the ha- when the family went out for the day, they would sneak upstairs and they could walk around, they could watch TV, they could cook, they could do anything, and there was a family of three of them. But they didn't set the alarm off because they're invisible. That's that's called the underers, and this has had a long gestation. This has probably been in my head for about 10 years. I have read 
this book because this is the one you gave me the events reading copy for. And I absolutely loved it. Great. I, Great. And it surprised me in so many different ways. You took on, um, you know, causes such as bullying and, you know, sibling rivalry and, you know, uh, the parent disassociation. And there's so many different things that you took on in that novel. It's ingenious because you had it set up so that, uh, you know, they were the alarm in the sense. And then at the same time, they required the alarm to go off for their safety. They acted like us in so many regards. You gave inanimate object feelings and human characteristics. Explain maybe a little bit about how you created those characters for us. Um, well, I wanted them to be like, I love E.T. I love the fact oh. that E.T. is not like us, but he is like us. And oh. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted, I wanted the alarmists to be, and initially I had that uh, every house in the, in the neighbourhood um, under is living beneath the house, right? Every and house. then my editor said, maybe just make it one, maybe make it special family for their one girl, you know, so that they, because otherwise I had a whole city underneath the homes. And there was definitely an intimate connection with one girl and it, it took a move and it was like, Immediate connection. Yeah, and she, and as you say, she was bullied, and then she found a friend and, and her um, new invisible, well, a new see through friends downstairs. So I, I wanted to make them like us, but not like us, a family that she could be scared of, but not too scared of. And then so when she befriends them, other crazy things happen, but um, she has this secret, and her secret is 101 steps beneath her, her bed. So why yeah. 101? I don't know. I just thought it was a good number. It was a great number. <laughs> yeah. The fact that she had to go 101 steps. I found the vulnerability that you wrote in and the it like almost the immediate bonding and the need for each other that was written in between Anders and, and the girl that so desperately needed somebody, um, you know, yeah. to uh, connect with. The vulnerability not only of the girl that they befriend, but also the vulnerability that the underers have themselves. Now, did you do that purposefully? Well, again, I wanted to make them a little bit human, but not too human. So they still have worries. They still have concerns. They still feel unsafe. And then there's a villain downstairs that I can't tell you what the villain is, but... And, they, and then he's always in their face, so they're worried about that. And they need her, and she needs them oh. in, in, in an equal measure. So I wanted to um, – I there's a boy and a girl in the family upstairs that journeys the main character, and I had a, I had a, I have a sister. So all the fights, all the fights between the brother and sister are, like, basically my, me and my sister, you know, my sister and I, because um, so I knew that. Well, know the, yeah. A disturber was in the family, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's other there's other ways that obviously if, if the alarm does go off, um, when the underers are inside the house, it's bad news for them because they can they can uh, die. So um, there's other there's other little things that you would have noticed that creep in there that um, make it a challenge for them. It's like what's the worst thing that can happen and make it happen? That's what I was always trying to think of in that book about how 
it's a fantastic story that I think would hit home with a lot of the age group that you're targeting, which is eight to 12. But at the same time, as an adult, I enjoyed the read. You know, right, like, right. yeah, and where was this when I was eight years old? And That's the main thing when you're a kid. You just, if you can have a secret, she has an, an amazing secret that she can't tell anyone. Yeah. And, and she's bursting to tell people. But also it would be too complicated for her to even talk about because w- what's going on downstairs beneath their house is fantastical. It's yeah. it's it's stranger things. It's, like, it's too weird. How do we even describe it to anyone, you know? The believability and at the same time, it's like the confidence, like that she has been entrusted by, and there's got backs, it it builds the bonding element. It, and so it was a joy to read. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And I'm sure that you've got, you know, more in the part that are similar in the structure and just, I can see the attention and the, the gift of tying a story together the way you did being so entertaining as well as supportive and connecting with your reader at that age, you know? So yeah, eight to twelve. If you've got kids, eight to twelve, definitely you want to read. I mean, this book. I've got to also thank my editor, and she lives in London. Um, her name's Anna Bowles, and she's she was very very good. So I hired her to. Um, I was probably sixty percent done, and I and to make it believable and to make it um, fantasy it has to has to have rules. You still have to have rules. You know, you talk about how the underers were born. And all that sort of thing. You need. You can't just fly off the handle and do anything you want, unless it's um, unless you're Spike Milligan. But <laughs> um, but you do need rules, and you do need to. Know, oh, that wouldn't happen. But you, you know. But in this, it, it can happen. You know, because I spent so such a huge amount of time trying to make it believable that oh, this could ha- This might happen when I'm not at home. Or when when you're away and your alarm's on, so that's what I wanted it to be. I want people to drive past their house and go, "Oh, if there's no one home and the alarm's on, I wonder if there are underers living there." You know that sort of thing. Yeah. And then it comes into the real world, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So much fun. My website's justinchristopherauthor.com. Are these are these um, new ones for kids yeah. for eight to twelve year old? Um, my daughter she drew this. It's quite cool. How old is your daughter? Uh, 17. Very good. Yes. She's a very, very good artist. So I said, oh, you should just do the cover. I thought that was pretty cool. Freak Out Island um, came about because um, I don't know if when you were a kid that your parents used to bribe you with things like um, don't pick your nose because if you pick your nose, your brain will fall out, that sort of thing. Don't kid, don't make that face. Your face will stick that way. Oh, yeah, for sure. The wind changes. Um, if you chew on uh, girls, you know, if you chew on your hair, um, you grow a bird's nest out of your head, all that sort of thing. And this is a story of, of Leo Wrigley, who's a little boy who lives in London. And um, his parents are, are professional competition winners. Wow. Uh, so they oh, they don't have jobs, they're unemployed, but they they think that they work because they just enter competitions all the time. And they win stupid things like blow up dolphins or um, or um, packets of meat 
or whatever. Uh, and that's and the boy is just kind of disgusted at his parents because he's like, you know, it's not even a job. Like, what are you what are you doing? It is a job, and, they, and the parents get quite offended by it. Anyway, what they do one day is they win a trip to Friendly Island. They think it's Friendly Island, right? But it's not. It's Freakout Island. And this is what um, these kids discover when they get there. Leo, who's the, the protagonist, he's uh, he, his problem is that he always um, swallows chewing gum and he blows a bubble out his butt <laughs> when he gets to the island. And... The kids are trapped on this island with, uh, <laughs> you can't quite see it there, but if you see, this is Leo in the middle and the big pink thing in the background is his bubble. It's coming out. bubble in the butt. Okay. <laughs> so there's these evil people on free, Friendly Island and they think it's Friendly Island. It's not, it's Freak Out Island. And they're trying to track these kids there. And the, his parents never read the fine print. And he annoyed, he's so annoyed at them because they didn't read the fine. He did, they're so useless. They didn't read the fine print. And now the boy and all these other kids, the girl with a bird's nest out of her head, the boy who swore too much can only squawk like a parrot. Um, the boy who picked his nose, his brain falls out. So this is this dude here. <laughs> that dude there, he's holding his brain because it fell he out. That'd be a fun um, story. Wow. We're going to catch him young with that one. I think my niece would enjoy that one. <laughs> Yeah. Also, these ones are fun to read because that's what I've noticed with when I do school talks. Um, reading these as an adult is fun to read, yeah. as opposed, you know, you you want to do it. It's it's, it's good fun. Is that the parent is actually, the parent is actually cracking up while they're reading yeah. it? That, that's the dream because the the child is loving it, but also the parent is having a laugh too um, about the. It's a bit like the Simpsons, you know. You want you want all ages to be able to get it but they get it in different ways yeah yeah no it just it just takes me back to my childhood too so i think that's great i think parents should definitely you know check it out and then share it with their kids i think that's a great bonding opportunity so what have you got in the works that we should keep our eye out for my, my daughters are musicians and we've been watching a lot of american idol and a lot of those shows how everyone wants to be a rock star and i've written a book about um, two kids who are under incredibly awful circumstances and then they jump aboard a bus, um, which happens to be the tour bus of the, the, uh, the band. And, nice. and it's, it's finished. So now I'm just uh, looking around to see where I want to publish it. And, yeah, so I've been working on that for a couple of years. Well, Justin Brown Books is – justinbrownbooks.com is my – my first website. I'd also do more travel books. Well, when we, when we can travel, travel books right. seems like a relic now. Travel books, what were they? Um, so I'd still, <laughs> I'd still do, do that. Virtual travel, you could do. <laughs> Is that where you want to focus? You want to focus on the kids' books? I go through phases. Seriously, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know. I was just thinking the other day. I'd love to write something. I love doing cartoons as well. Um, I'm not a good enough cartoonist to illustrate a book. But um, I was obsessed with it as a kid. It's all I ever did. Um, so I was looking at the little prints the other day and thinking, I love how the little prints, we read that as adults, but also kids are transfixed by it too. So I don't actually think there's any rules about it. Um, but I love something like the little prints, which is not just for 8 to 12-year-olds or, or kids. The themes in there are huge that you might read when you're 8 and then when you're 88. So justinchristopherauthor.com. Um, his Freak Out Island and and um, the Underers, 
and we've got my best worst year too which i haven't even talked about so there's three books and there's a there's a mailing list there so you can sign up and um yeah i'd love you to read the books and and i love getting mail i love just hearing from kids and where and how they're enjoying it yeah i mean i'll I'll do this forever I'll, i'll be writing this forever so it's a joy getting to know you thank you for taking the time to do an interview with online for authors Thank you. Thanks so much, Jennifer.